You see, the Corinthians church were rough. So Paul was not writing in a vacuum. He had a reason in mind. Paul was not just writing to give them an idea of love, an ideal of love. He wasn't just holding up love as the standard. Yes, that's true. But he was writing to inform their thinking. He was writing to inform them on what true love is. Keep this in mind as we look at our passage today. In verse 6, Paul provides yet another facet of this diamond called love. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 6, Paul says of love, it does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Life Church Canton podcast. My name is Sam. I'm the host for the show. Thanks so much for listening. This week is week number five of our series called Cross Equals Love. Pastor Daniel is preaching. Um, he's talking about 1 Corinthians 13, which is where kind of we're living this whole series. Um, Want to tell you about a few things that are coming up in virtual church as we're all, um, you know, staying at home during this time of COVID-19. Um, this Friday, we are having a uh, an online Good Friday service, and Daniel will be leading that service, and we're actually going to try and. Uh, take part in communion together, which I think will be a, a cool and um, a new thing to try um, in this time of just uh, where we're all kind of isolated. I think it's important for us to, to continue to do that. So um, also our Easter services are coming up this Sunday. They'll be on Facebook Live at 930. So make sure you tune in for that um, and invite your friends to watch as well. Um, so here's Daniel preaching week five of Cross Equals Love. Enjoy. Well, good morning, Life Church. I'm excited to be with you uh, this morning as we experience church in a very new way. It's super exciting to have this opportunity. You know, in times like this, you wonder what the first century church would do um, in such circumstances such as this. Well, I know. I know what they would do. They would continue to be the church. And thank you for continuing to be in church. Well, welcome to my home. Welcome to my favorite room in the entire house, the kitchen. Um, it's a wonderful room where a lot of things get done. We, we love and care for each other. And I've got chairs here, folks. I wish you were here to uh, hang out with us and uh, be part of the Fagbuya family. And I look forward to a time when we will be together yet again. And I want to welcome all the new folks, all the people who are here for the very first time, the very first time today or the very first time ever. You are welcome. We are happy to have you. And would you please let us know? Let us know in the comment section that you're new so we can love on you and care for you uh, and welcome you into our family. Well, you come in at a great time. We are at week five of our Cross Equals Love week, a wonderful series where we look at the sacrifice of Christ, that cross, the crucifixion of Christ, and what it means for us. How that cross, that, that gory cross, is the epitome of what true love is. The cross equals love. You get to experience that. And so for the past four weeks, we've been focusing on what true love is. We've been holding up this beautiful diamond called love and showing you all of its many facets. In week one, we showed you and we learned that love is essential, that love is important, that it doesn't matter what information you have, what knowledge you have, what skills you have, what degrees you have. It matters that you love people. 
You know, as someone used to say, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And so week two, we learned that true love is patient and kind, patiently kind. What a wonderful combination of words. How can you be patient without being kind? And how can you be kind without being patient? Week three, we learned that true love is sacrificial. True love is not selfish. True love is not self-centered. True love is not thinking about itself, but true love is sacrificial. And last week, week four, we learned that true love is forgiven. True love doesn't keep a record of wrongs. No, it doesn't, it doesn't keep a list, a litany of things that people have done wrong against you. True love continues to love and continues to care for people. And in fact, Pastor Nathan burned his records, a sort of wonderful way to show us a, an imagery that we burn those things. It's what Jesus did for us. All of our sins have been burned up and we are loved. He is the epitome of love. Today, we are going to look at yet another facet of love. We're going to look at another truth about love, another attribute about love. But before we do that, I think it's helpful to know the context of 1 Corinthians. Paul writes this epistle, this letter, if you will, to the church of God in Corinth, a city called Corinth. He writes it to Christians everywhere, he says in chapter 1, verse 2. Paul writes to exhort them, to urge them, to urge that Christian church to not allow divisions in their midst to now allow schisms in their midst. Uh, he wrote to them so that they could be of one mind and one judgment. Why? So that they can experience the fullness of their faith, the unimaginable and great inheritance that they have in the Lord Jesus Christ. Christian, that is yours and my heritage. And he writes to this church. He writes to them, don't let schisms, don't let divisions come among you. And Paul, like a good doctor, provides a remedy. What's the remedy? What's the cure? What is the antidote, if you will? It's love. Paul says love. Love removes the division and the schisms. But this is not any kind of subjective or regular run-of-the-mill type of love. No, this is a different type of love. This is not human love that's fragile and circumstantial and transactional. It's fragile. You can't put too much weight on it. It'll break and bend. It is circumstantial that depending on the season and time, love, human love fails. It's transactional. It's about what you can do for me. I remember the, the wonderful poet, uh, Paul Abdu, what have you done for me lately, right? You look at that process and, and you see that love, true love is not like this. This is not the love that Paul is describing. Paul is not describing human love. He uses a Greek term. There are many Greek terms for, for, for love, but he uses the word agapeo. Agape, as some of you would know it. He describes the greatest type of love. This is not a love that's built on emotions. This is not a love that's built on feelings that ebb and flow. This is a love that's built on conviction and on the will. This is an unmerited love, an unconditional love, an unquenchable love. This is a God kind of love, a divine love. This is not a love that speaks of, of itself, but a love that speaks of others. Paul uses this word here in chapter 13. He uses this word in the passage that we're going to be looking at today. Uh, in chapter 13, what is fondly referred to as the love chapter. What a, what a name for a chapter, the love chapter, the chapter on love. It's arguably the best known passage in all of scripture. Even people who are not Christians know this passage. You've often heard it quoted at weddings, at anniversaries, at engagements, all kinds of engagements, even engagement parties, but all kinds of different events and engagements. Even at funerals, they have quoted this love chapter. 
chapter 13 of Corinthians provides for us a great description of love. If I were to sort of outline this passage, I would say from verse one, two, three, you see the primacy of love. Love is primal. Love is important. Love is essential. And in verse four, through eight, you see the personification of love. Now, I'm going to unpack that a little later, but you see the personification of love. Love is personified. That's where we find our text, verse six, that we're going to be looking at today. Love is personified in this text. And in verse eight through 13, you see the permanence of love. The permanence of love. The permanence of love. Love is wonderful. Love abides forever. In fact, the text in verse eight says, love never fails. So what exactly is it to personify? That's, that's sort of that, that little section, that little pericope where we find our text today. Paul says he personifies love. He uses this literary tool, this po poetic tool to show what love is. Personify simply means to attribute or to apply human characteristics to something that is not human. Personification is seen all through Scripture. You, it's used to, to give you a vivid picture of something that's being described. It, it, it brings the abstract into focus. It takes an abstract concept, an abstract theory, and brings it into focus so you can better understand it. Perhaps one of the best places that I love and that I remember seeing a personification is in Genesis chapter 4, verse 7. Now, here in this text, in Genesis 4, 7, sin is personified. It's pictured as a ravenous beast crouched at the door, ready to pounce and devour its victim. What a vivid picture of sin. You see, the writer here uses this personification to show you the dominating and destructive nature of sin, how it eats at the very core of the human being, how it devours it like a beast would do. Personification is, is a great tool, and Paul uses it in this chapter. In, in chapter 14, Paul uses 16 different verbs to show that love is not a noun, but it's an action. It's in the move. It's on the move, love is. He uses positive and negative verbs. He uses positive to show what love is and negative to show what love is not. He uses passive and active terms. Uh, what do I mean by that? He shows us the content of love, what the nature of love, the very state of love. And then he shows us the conduct of love, love on the move. He shows us what love is and what love does. Each attribute in this text, each attribute in our passage today is an indictment on the Corinthian church. You see, they were not showing true love for each other and to each other. They were not known for their love for each other. The very mark of discipleship, the very mark of meaning that you are a Christian is your love for each other. Rather, they were known for being impatient with each other. They were known for being unkind with each other. They were known for being jealous of each other. They were boastful and arrogant towards each other. They were happy to see each other fail. They were keeping records of wrongs. They did not bear with each other. They did not believe the best in each other. And so therefore they gave up on each other. But Life Church, I got good news for you. I am convinced of greater than that in you. I am convinced of better of you. I have been with you now for a few months and I have seen you love well. I have seen the love of God shared in you. So this is not an indictment on life, church, but this is an encouragement to keep us, to spur us to keep on moving. That the old folks used to say, keep on keeping on, keep on moving. Keep on loving, especially in this time of social distancing. Keep on loving your brothers and your sisters well. 
keep on life, church. Don't be like the Corinthian church. Don't pull back from your love for each other. Don't use this season and this time as an excuse to not love each other, but keep on keeping on. You see, the Corinthians church were rough. So Paul was not writing in a vacuum. He had a reason in mind. Paul was not just writing to give them an idea of love, an ideal of love. He wasn't just holding up love as the standard. Yes, that's true. But he was writing to inform their thinking. He was writing to inform them on what true love is. Keep this in mind as we look at our passage today. In verse 6, Paul provides yet another facet of this diamond called love. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 6, Paul says of love, It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Paul says love, it doesn't rejoice at wrongdoing. It rejoices with the truth. When Paul says love does not rejoice, he, he, he means to correct the faulty understanding and faulty actions of the Corinthian church. You see, they had become comfortable and even happy with sinful things, ungodly things, things that ought to not be named around Christians. In fact, they were so happy, they were not only enabling and encouraging, but they were also engaging in wrong conduct with each other and against each other. There's three instances that we see in this text, uh, in in this whole epistle. In this whole letter that Paul writes, in in chapter 5, we learn of incest. In chapter 6 and 11, we learn of injustice. In chapter 12 and 13, we learn of uh, irreverence, incest. In in chapter 5, you see that a man is having relations with his mother-in-law, who is still married to his father. How is that for a soap opera? How is that for another episode of Days of Our Lives, Days of Our Church, Days of the Corinthians? Injustices. They were, they were unjust, unjust to each other. Socioeconomic injustices, they used the judicial system to get over on each other. They used the judicial system to marginalize. They used their status and their money to marginalize the poor and those who are less fortunate. Even during the most solemn of events, the communion, holy communion, a time when Christians gather together to celebrate the sacrifices of God and, and sacrifice of Christ and the hope of his return. A time when we are to sit in unity, to break bread, symbolizing the broken body of Christ, to drink wine or, or drinks, symbolizing the blood of Christ that was spilled on our behalf. A solemn, a holy moment when they ought to reverence God. They were practicing all kinds of injustices to each other. They were marginalizing and segregating people from their table. Irreverence towards God and each other. As if all that was not enough, they were competitive and cutthroat in every single way, especially even in spiritual gifts. Can you imagine that? They were concerned more about their status and about showing off than about God honoring him and about caring for each other. The superiority complex that they had, that they suffered, was only worsened by their superficial spirituality. These were were superficial hypocrites. These were spiritual hypocrites. They had forgotten that all of who they are, all of what they have is because of God. As a side note, folks, look look at all these attributes of this church, incest, sexual immorality, criminal activity. If I was writing scripture 
I wouldn't include this. This is how I know that the Bible is true. Because if you were creating a fictional book, a book that you were looking to have it this, de, to, to deceive people, if you were intending to create this sort of cornucopia of beauty, you would not include this church. No one would write this. No one would want to follow a religion that's filled with people like this. This is how we know, one of the ways we know that the Bible is true. God isn't hiding us. The Bible isn't hiding our humanity. The Bible isn't claiming to be a, a, a book for Christians who are perfect, people who are perfect and without blemish. No, these are people, Christians are not perfect people, but people who know their imperfection. Let me say that again. Christians aren't perfect people, but they are people who are extremely aware of their imperfections and turn to a perfect God. It's a great apologetic for scripture. You see, the, 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 the Corinthian church were maliciously joyful. It sounds like a like a like a like an, uh, an oxymoron or, or even a contradiction of terms better. No, they were maliciously joyful. They found pleasure in being better than each other and then in others being less than them. Paul reminds them and us that such behavior is not loving. It's not true love. True love does not rejoice in wrongdoing or with wrongdoing, but it rejoices with what is true and what is good. Rather than being drawn to wrongdoing, true love is drawn to what is true, what is good. You see, given the context here the, that of verse 5, which comes right before verse 6, no duh, Paul is saying that love does not rejoice in the demise and in the destruction of people. That sounds good enough. But look what he does here. In verse 5, he says, love does not keep records of wrong. And in verse 6, he shifts to the heart behind the keeping of the records. He moves from the action to the motivation of the action. Paul says love not only does not keep a record of people's wrongs and their shortcomings, but love doesn't gloat over it, get excited about it, sort of an internal joy about look what they've done. Why would one be joyful? Perhaps it's because they anticipate the justice that is coming, the wrath that is coming, the consequence of those actions. And so whether it's because you anticipate the, 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 the people who have wronged you, give them their just due or whether you just like to look at a train wreck from a mile away from a safe distance and marry and be joyful in the fact that that's not me. That's not loving. Our society is naturally drawn to rumors and negative information, negative data about people. You don't believe me? Then why are all the tabloids and why are all the online gossip columns and online gossip sites and shows, why are they so successful? Why are they so popular? Whether it's TMZ or the online bloggers who are spilling the tea or the news outlets who are more concerned about being first than they are about being correct. There's a huge market for negativity. Our society thrives on negative information. Let me bring this a little closer to home. I remember when I was growing up and we would be watching Jerry Springer. Yeah, all right. Amen. I'm not the only one. I know you out there. I know you've watched. I, I know you. I know you know that I know you've watched. But I remember that we would sit there in school the next day and talk about all of what happened on Jerry Springer. Everybody was watching it. And it was so popular. Jerry was making a killing at this. It's amazing how we were drawn to watching people's lives get destroyed in real time. We were, we were elated at the fact that it's not me. There was a sense of, yeah, negative information pulls me in and I'm so happy that it's not me. It takes our mind off of our own circumstances. We, we thrive and we traffic in lies, in gossips as a society. As one person said it, 
A lie will make its way around the world before truth even puts on its shoes. Love is not drawn to demise and destruction of people. Rather, love is drawn to what is true and good about people. Love does not rejoice, Paul says, over wrongdoing, but is grieved by it and longs to see all wrongs righted. In fact, this is the joy of the Christian. The true Christian wants to see truth and goodness rise and triumph over evil. It wants to see the broken redeemed and restored. It's interesting that Paul uses a definite article. He doesn't say a truth, but the truth in this verse. He's pointing at objective truth or the objective nature of truth. In other words, truth is neither subjective nor relative. Truth is not relegated to a certain time, a certain circumstance. Truth is truth regardless of where you find it. Truth by its very nature is objective. Otherwise, it's an opinion, and everyone has one of those. Love does not shy away from confrontation. Love does not shy away from speaking and seeking the truth in every circumstance. You see, true love doesn't cower in the face of wrongdoing and evil. True love does not, does not find itself more concerned about keeping a superficial relationship. It's more concerned about saving a soul. True love values the saving of a soul more than the comfort of a superficial relationship where truth isn't being told. True love celebrates truth in every situation and in every circumstance. It doesn't, it doesn't relegate truth just for you or just for me. True love seeks out truth everywhere. I love what Dr. King says. You know, Dr. King is, is, is being quoted as saying that injustice anywhere is injustice everywhere. I love that. I love that. Truth doesn't see injustice as just their problem. Truth says injustice. True love says injustice is injustice for everybody. Truth says deception there is deception here. Injustice there is injustice here. When we talk about racial reconciliation and social justice and caring for the less fortunate, folks, that's not their problem. That's our problem. Injustice anywhere is injustice everywhere. Let us be people who seek to celebrate what's good and not give in to rumors and not give in to gossips and not give in to even by our omission and by our inactivity, allowing wrongdoing and evil to thrive. Let's be people who seek to celebrate what's good and what's true about people. What a church we would have if we continue in this life, church. What communities we would have if we did this, if we've loved and celebrate good news and not bad news. If we were swift to love and care, then swift to share bad information about people. What country would we have if we thrived on the good of people rather than the deplorable in people? Real love, true love, God's kind of love does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but it rejoices in truth. But friends, there we have it. True love. That is what it means to love. Here's another facet of love, another aspect of love, another dimension of love. Love doesn't rejoice. Love isn't happy and excited when wrong things happen, when bad things happen, when evil thrives. No, love rejoices with truth. Love seeks out truth. Love is a cheerleader for truth and what is good. Well, here are some action steps that I have for you this week. And it takes you on into life, not just this week. I want to encourage you. First action step. Be the type of person that celebrates your friends and your families this week. Especially as we find ourselves in this circumstance that we are in. 
sheltered in home, sheltered in place. Celebrate your family. Celebrate your friends. Don't give in to the urge to celebrate wrongdoing, whether it's actively or passively. <clears throat> I want to ask you a question that helps you further this action step. Is this season bringing out the best in you or the worst in you? You see, for some people, COVID-19 has brought the worst out of them. Many people have bought thousands and thousands of gallons of hand sanitizer, thousands and thousands of rolls of toilet paper. Why? For some, yes, to hoard, but others to gouge people, to charge people an arm and a leg in the moment of desperation, to take advantage of people in a very unique way. Oh, it was the worst of times. Some politicians have even used their position of influence and their privileged information to make money off of this crisis at the expense of the very people that they claim to serve and care about. What is this season doing to your heart? How are you loving people in this season, Life Church? And to all our visitors who are out there, this message applies to you too. How are you loving people? Let me ask you a deeper question. Is, shelter, is sheltering in place causing you to be more kind or less kind to people who you're at home with, to your co-workers this week, this month, this season? Are you secretly hoping that the cure for COVID-19 comes quickly to save lives? Yes, the lives out there, but the very lives of the very people who you're with right now that you're almost about to strangle because they're getting on your last nerves? Remember, love bears with all things and endures all things. I want to encourage you to bear with them because chances are they're bearing with you. Or maybe for you, and you may be similar to me in this, are you using social distancing? Are you using this time of social distancing as an excuse to be emotionally distant from your loved ones? If I could be real with you, keep it 100%, 100%. If I could be real with you, this is one of my concerns. This is one of the areas I have to watch out for. As a introvert, naturally introverted, I can use this as a great excuse to seclude myself, to quarantine myself. In fact, my wife may joke that I quarantine myself all the time. She don't know the difference between shelter in place and Daniel in place. But are you using this as a time to be emotionally distanced? Or are you engaging people? I want to encourage you to celebrate what's good in people, what's good in the people you're around. Celebrate the image of God in people. Here are some more practical ways that you could flesh this out. Maybe you could consider signing up for Covenant Community Care. Reach out to our Now page on our website, or you can reach out to Pastor Kate. You can find out the people who need practical help in this time of need, and you can care for them. Continue to reach out to Pastor Ron and share with him your prayer request, and also let him know of any prayer requests. Have him to let you know of any prayer requests that you could be praying for. Pray for people. Pray for all people, especially those who are currently called the at-risk population. You know, the frontline people, the health professionals who are putting their life on the line to help and care for people. Other essential workers who are working hard to bring us the necessities that we need in this time. Or those with pre-existing illnesses. They are especially at risk at this time. Pray for them. Pray for the elderly and for the babies. Consider also reaching out to someone and calling them. Earlier today, I had probably perhaps one of the more um, downcasted mornings or one of the more depressive mornings. You know, in this season, 
um, missing my family. We've relocated to a new milieu, new people, and we're getting to know you and we're becoming family swift, but missing our biological families, it feels some kind of way. And you wonder, Lord, why am I here? Why am I here in this season? And I got a wonderful text. And, and often I got a couple of brothers here at Life Church that always check on me to see how I'm doing, to, to, to just randomly say, hey, Pastor, how are you doing? Brother Marcus does that. I see you out there. I pray. I'm praying for you. My, my, my brother Richard Chris does that. I see you, brother. I thank you. But this morning I got a text from Jeff Packer just randomly saying, brother, I'm so thankful for you to be here. I'm glad that God brought you to Life Church. He didn't know how much I needed to hear that this morning. Reach out to someone, call someone. You don't know how much their voice, them hearing your voice, even in this season, could mean the difference between depression and joy. To celebrate them, to celebrate what's true about them. I thank all of you who've reached out to each other. Continue to do that. Continue to, to be spurred on in that great work. Action step number two. Read through Galatians, particularly chapter five. Great chapter. It shows you the source and the strength of true love, and that's God. Read through it. See the fruits of the Spirit in this text. Thirdly, I'd like to encourage you to join us at Table, Table Talk Thursdays. A great opportunity for you to ask questions about this sermon, questions about theology in general, and questions about life. It's a great opportunity where we're on Facebook Live at 12 noon on every Thursday, filled in your questions. You can send your questions in ahead of time, or you can put your questions in live, and we will try to get to all of those questions. It's a great opportunity for us to spur each other on in good things, to continue to show love, to continue to be the church. You can email that to me at daniel.fagbui at lifechurchcanton.org. My last name is unique, so look on our website. I spell it for you. It contains all the alphabets and all the vowels and consonants in the, in the English dictionary. But, I, but do that, and, I, and I'm trusting that that will continue to encourage us in this season. Those are practical things that you can do as a Christian, of course, and even as a non-Christian. You can do those things, and you can surrender your life to Christ, which brings me to my final point, my final word to you. If you're a Christian, continue to persevere. But if you're here and you don't know Christ, please know that perfect love, true love, can only be found in the Savior. And he knows all of your wrongdoings. Have you lied before? Have you stolen before? Have you offended someone? Have you hurt someone? Have you become very familiar with your frailty as a human being? How can such a creature ever attain perfection? How can a, a, a God who is perfect ever be pleased with that? Well, folks, you're not left destitute. Christ is that answer. You see, there is a perfect God, a holy God, who is pure in all ways. And there's no way that man can reach him. Every single religion, every religion on this earth has you trying to work your way to earn God's heaven, to earn God's goodness, to work your way to, to be what God has called you to be. Christianity is the only religion where God comes to man, where God submits himself, where God condescends into humanity to just so he can save humanity. You see, you can't wait till you get perfect. There's no such thing you can never be. But come to the God who loves you, all your perfect imperfections, all your warts, all of who you are. Look at the Corinthian church, a church that was deplorable in every single way, but God still calls them my holy ones because he washes us, he cleanses us, and he brings us into his love.
I want to encourage you. In fact, I want to challenge you. This is a new season that you're in. You see how life can, just like that, be over with. How life can change in the blink of an eye, in the twinkling of an eye. Today is not promised. Tomorrow is not promised. This next hour is not promised. Come to Christ. Experience his love. Experience that love that surpasses all understanding. There is a God-shaped hole in your life that only God can fill. And you could try to fill it with anything, with drugs, with relationship, with accolades, but you will always end up empty. Best you decide now than when it's too late. I want to encourage you to come to Christ. And perhaps you may pray a prayer. And you may, you may be led in this prayer like this, Lord, I need you. I don't know what the preacher man is saying. I know some of this stuff that he's saying. I don't know everything he said. But Lord, I want to encounter you. The Bible says that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. He hears you. You don't need an intermediary. You don't need me to go between you. Talk to God. He sees you. He knows where you are. Come to him now. And he will by no means cast you out. Well, beloved, people who I love, the loved ones of God, it's been my pleasure bringing you God's word this morning. And I pray that we will continue to be the church. Remember, love does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but love, true love, real love, godly love rejoices with truth. God bless you. And I can't wait to see you again, hand in hand, worshiping with a whole bunch of sanitizers and hand sanitizer. But, but still, I can't wait to see you. God bless you. I love you, Life Church. See you soon. Hey, thanks so much for listening. If you want to find out more information about Life Church Canton or other churches in the Life Church Network, you can go to lifechurchcanton.org/now for our now page or fill out the form linked in the show notes below and someone from the church will reach out to you with more information. If you watched Life Church for the first time this past weekend, we would love to know about that. We believe that life isn't meant to be lived in isolation, but we want to connect with you and learn to live like Jesus in community together. If you want to email the show, you can do that at podcast at lifechurchcanton.org. You can subscribe to this show wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're enjoying it, please share it with a friend and leave us a review. Once again, my name is Sam Parham, and you've been listening to the Life Church Canton podcast. Have a great week, everybody.